I've entitled the sermon, Motivation. Just wanted to remind you, I don't have one with me, but when we started this series, we had an information sheet, a front and a back. If you weren't here that first Sunday, if you didn't get one of those, they should be in the little slots, the little holders in our offering boxes in the back. You can grab one if you want. It gives a little more background information. But we want to set the scene and think about Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 today. Discouragement, disappointment, dismay. You ever heard of those things? They're all emotions that touch all of us from time to time. Don't tell me that discouragement has never come into your life or that disappointment or even dismay. It matters not whether you're a Christian or not. You're still susceptible to these things. The idea that, that we come to the Lord and everything is perfect, I where did that come? I know where that came from. Guys on TV and set, trying to sell books. I know exactly where that came from. But the fact is, we are human and we have these emotions. Sometimes we can get frustrated at home, at work, at leisure. Sometimes circumstances really get to us. Even depression and hopelessness can set in sometimes. But let us be assured of one absolute truth. Hear me. God knows our problems and our frustrations. He understands the many challenges and difficulties that, that we face. And he loves us. And he promises to be with us. Aren't you glad that he promises to be with us? Amen. This should serve as motivation for us to live victoriously and complete the work that he has called us to do. Now, I have been reading. Have you ever read those? They look like posters, these signs. One might say endurance or whatever motivation. I have seen some really poor ones. Let me give you a few examples of bad motivational quotes or posters. And just see if this motivates you. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Read this. True. I mean, if it's on the internet, it's got to be true, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it was designed and everything. First one is this. It's all downhill from here. How does that help motivate someone? Here's another one I read. It will probably get worse. Come on. <laughs> this one. Enjoy the good times because something terrible is probably about to happen. I mean, that's a glass half-empty type person. And this one, I kid you not, uh, it's copyrighted, so I can't throw it up on the screen, but it's got a picture and everything to it. Only dead fish go with the flow. <laughs> How is that helping anyone or your organization? It is not helpful. And then there's one that we can put up on the screen. Go ahead and pop it up. This is Teddy Roosevelt. If you could kick a person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit for a month. <laughs> There's a better way to motivate people than these things. It's unbelievable. I do chuckle sometimes what people put out there. And you're just like, come on. But there's better motivation. And you know where the Christian finds better motivation? In Scripture. Let me give you a few Scripture verses. You may want to jot them down. They're not in your notes. And just ponder them this week. John 16, 33. Jesus speaking. These things have I spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. That's motivational, isn't it? Praise God for that. 
Here's another one. And notice the eyes in that verse. And notice the eyes in this verse. It's Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Put that on a poster, right? Amen. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything, talking about anxiety, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's motivation. And one of my favorites, one of my life verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. That's motivation. Scripture is full of it. In today's passage, the people are discouraged they're overwhelmed with the work. Do you remember? There, it's the idea of no more procrastination. Let's have priority and get on with rebuilding the temple. This is post-exilic time, so they are exiles who have come back. They're overwhelmed. You ready for this? Some are even remembering the good old days. That's a whole sermon right there on the good old days. Some of y'all are getting nervous right now if I started preaching against the good old days. So just relax, just relax. But something amazing happens. God in his timing steps in. He will motivate his people through his presence and his sovereignty. We should also be motivated to uphold God's priorities, which bring God glory. I want you to think about this big idea today, and it's this. We could say, be motivated, but it's a little more than that. Be motivated to uphold God's priorities and his work, service to him, which bring him glory. And if we haven't got that yet, we're going to get that. The idea of priority number one is working and serving in God's kingdom, his work, his mission, and giving him glory for everything. Worship today, that was spectacular. But I pray to God that everyone who played an instrument who, who sang would say yes and give glory to God. Not to my voice or my fingering or my embouchure or whatever or look at this nice instrument I have, but it would be, God, we give you glory. As we give, we do that, don't we? We don't give out a compulsion to the Lord. We don't give... Uh, in a, in a sad way, we do it cheerfully because we, it gives glory to God. So be motivated to uphold God's priorities and work, which bring him glory. Let's read chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through Haggai, the prophet. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak. And to the remnant of the people, and look at these questions. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem like nothing to you? Even so, be, be strong, Zerubbabel, the Lord's declaration. 
Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong. You get in the picture? Be strong, all you people of the land. The Lord's declaration. Work! Exclamation point. For I am with you. Underline that phrase. I am with you. The declaration of the Lord of hosts, Lord God Almighty. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. For the Lord of hosts says this. Once more, in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory. There it is, says the Lord of hosts. The silver and gold belong to me, the declaration of the Lord of hosts. Are you seeing the declaration over and over? I mean... Haggai is spitting bullets right here, man. It is just the Lord declares, declares, declares. And then verse 9. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of hosts. I will provide peace in this place. The declaration of the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. God, as you declare, may we appropriate that into our lives. May we be changed Today, may we not walk out of this building we call Hoffmantown Church today without you doing a work in our life. God, all of us, uh, there's some who need salvation, need total life change. God, grant that today. There's some who, who need, we just need a little chip here or a little chip there and just to, to take a little bit off here. And some we need just a little bit added to us. Maybe we're in the midst of discouragement or dismay right now. God, change us. Help us to understand your word. Speak to us in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's join, jump right in. Point number one we find in the first couple of verses. It's another needed message. Remember I told you Haggai is the series of sermons, if you will. But he is the messenger from God, he is the prophet, and he is declaring what God has said and giving it to the people, and it's needed at this time. I was reminded as I read this that God's timing is always perfect. Have you noticed that? Do some of you not enjoy that sometimes? Come on. My timing should be perfect, but it's not. God's timing is what's perfect. Some of you are waiting on something his timing is perfect. Some of us have gotten ahead of God. You ever done that? His timing is perfect. You see, here's something about God. Listen, he speaks to the needs of his people. Have you noticed that in your life? God speaks. His word is always speaking to my need, to your need. It's amazing. And these people here in this day, in this time, these exiles who have returned, they needed motivation. And this new message from God comes, again, talking about timing, it comes almost two months after God's first message, chapter 1, verse 1. It also comes after the people began the work of rebuilding the temple, chapter 1, verse 15. And, and this particular day that it comes, you know, lots of times we read the word and we go, okay, second year, okay, first day, six months. We go, oh, come on. You, some of y'all don't like that stuff. You pass by. But I'm going to tell you, this day 
is important. Do you know why? Because of this very day that Scripture notates was the last day of what we call the feast or festival of tabernacles, or maybe you've heard it, booths or shelters. It's one of those feasts, one of those things that God's people had to observe. And it comes, this is the last day of it. Well, what were they supposed to do during that feast? They were supposed to remember their ancestors. And they lived in booths or shelters. Do you remember how long? In the wilderness for 40 years. And they were to celebrate God and his blessings. And the last day of the festival, are you ready for this? This is in Leviticus 23. Look it up. Don't believe me. Leviticus 23. The last day of the festival was to be a special sacred assembly of all the people. Isn't God's timing perfect for this message to come on that day? All the remnant would hear God's message through Haggai as they were all gathered because of something else. God's timing is perfect. And they also had had time, it's been almost two months, they had time to see something, unfortunately, slow progress. And to see this temple is really not so impressive. You remember the impressive temple that was destroyed? It's called, yeah, you remember that? Solomon's temple. So let me ask you this. Just evaluate your life for a minute. Do you ever need motivation? If you're a child or a teen, well, the children, most children left. If you're a teenager or if you're even a young adult, you might say, my parents say that all the time. I'm not talking about that kind of motivation. I got a lot of that kind of motivation when I was young and deserved all of them but one. That's another story. But uh, I'm still mad at my brother. No, I'm not. <laughs> but do you need motivation? Adults, do you need motivation? Well, of course we do. Let me ask you this, though. Do you turn to God's message for it? Or do you turn to someone that you can commiserate with? It blows my mind that some people turn to television news shows for motivation. I am so tired of two lost people, or three or four, screaming at each other on the show. They're not even listening to each other, regardless of what my viewpoint is or my opinion is, right? Or we turn to this self-help book. How about we turn to God's message for motivation? It's another very timely, necessary message. But let's move on. This one, there's meat to this passage, verses 3 through 5. Here's how I've titled it. Present ministry or present priority trumps past failures. Listen, if you are bound up by past failures, there's something that will always trump that. Obviously, God's forgiveness. But it's going to be present priority. God, I'm going to make this change because of you strengthening me to do it. Or present ministry. God, I'm going to dive headfirst into this ministry you've called me to be involved with. And it always will trump past failures. Listen, do you know your pastor has had some past failures? Do you know I've done some doozies? Don't look at me like you never have. Do you know I've said some things, and when it came out of my mouth, I was like, have you ever done that? 
and you can't get them though they're gone it's even worse now you guys that do all these social media stuff be careful those not only you can't grab it they're there forever hello man I wish Christians would start posting more verses in what God's doing instead of their opinions on everything hello I told you I'm on a roll because that worship got me fired up but it's true we, we have failures I love to hear testimonies. You know what kind of testimony I don't like to hear? Is how horrible and awful and everything was and God saved me from that. That's good. But if that's all the testimony there is, hello. How about what God is doing now, right? Perhaps you, you came out of divorce. Perhaps you came out of addiction. Perhaps you came out of a, a childhood like many of us had. Just, oh, man. Perhaps, what I don't know what it is, financial issues, whatever it is, you've come out of that. And now, how about what the Lord is doing now? What ministry I'm in, what priorities I have placed into my life based on God's Word. That always trumps the failures. I just feel like we need to hear that today. I feel like there's some people here today, you need to hear that. You need to be unleashed who the son, that song, David, I, did you read my notes? He did not read my notes. I don't share those with him. He knows the outline, but. Who the son sets free is free indeed. Why? Stay in the past. And then we see verse 3. And let's acknowledge it. Verse 3, comparisons bring discouragement. Let me just tell you that, that comparisons, they usually bring discouragement. The people were discouraged as they compared this work going on right now to Solomon's temple. Some were even old enough to remember that temple. It was destroyed about 66 years earlier. So there are some elderly folks that could remember that. Oh, for the good old days and that temple. Instead of fully obeying, they compared. Let me just help you. you. You have an appointment, you come to me, and if you're big on comparing, I'm going to smile, and uh, it's going to be a fairly short meeting. Why? Because I'm not interested in comparison. It's a futile exercise. We need to be about obeying what God wants us to do. I want you to think about that for a minute. First Kings, First Chronicles. Listen, here's why it's so futile. They describe for us, you can go and read it, there was a seven, are you ready? A seven-year process for building that former glorious temple. Do you know what the workforce was? It was approximately 180,000 men to build that temple. They used approximately 285 tons of gold. Why would you compare? There's, why? These people knew they only had a tiny workforce, a fraction of that workforce, and a fraction of those resources. So let me ask you this question this morning. Why do we spend time in the good old day instead of fully obeying in this moment? I fear that some of us don't have a moment right now. We're either lost without God, headed straight to hell. Or perhaps we are not involved in God's work. Our priorities are messed up.
Why do we spend time doing that? Listen, let me give you a phrase that, that, that I, I, I paraphrased it, but you've heard it before. But listen to this. When the past trumps your present and future, you got trouble. Hear me. I'm not being mean. Maybe you're a widow or a widower. I'm not talking about remembering your spouse and, and how difficult it is not having there. But if your past trumps all the present and future and what God's doing and will do in your life, whether you're 80 or 8 years old, are you hearing me? You got trouble. There's no abundant life. There's no victorious life. Well, let's move on. That's kind of the negative verse, verse 3. But then we get to 4 and 5, and God's, God steps in. His message steps in, and he says in verses 4 and 5, Be strong, I am with you. In fact, his declaration is a threefold command. Be strong, be strong, be strong. Look at it in verses 4 and 5. It is for everyone. It stood in great contrast. Do you see the contrast? To the current negative thinking, even some of those who knew the good old days. The, it, it, it's, it's how can we do this? And he's like, no. Here's the contrast. Be strong. Be strong. Be strong. It's encouragement. God reminded them again with the phrase we've already seen in Haggai. I am with you. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 13. He also reminded people that this great encouragement and motivation, it is motivation, and it's tried and true. You can trust it. And he reminds them, Exodus chapter 3, it's the same promise I gave to Moses and the people coming out of slavery. In Exodus 29, he tells them again, it's the same promise that I gave of dwelling with people in the tabernacle. Joshua chapter 1, it's the same promise I gave to Joshua that I would be with him and the people during the conquest of the promised land. And we end verses 4 and 5 with this little phrase, don't be afraid. I want you to think about that for a minute. Don't be afraid. That's a powerful command. Why? Why? Because God promised his spirit to be present with him. Look at, chapter, look at verse 5. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt. Look at it. And my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. Literally, his continual standing, or like I presently persistently present. It's not good English, but, but that's what it is. It's this idea of continuity, of persistence. Wow. That same spirit, when they think back to the Exodus and those other things, that same spirit, God's spirit, was present to guide them, to protect them, to empower them, even in the post-exilic era. Now, God desires his people, he desires for his people to look beyond circumstances and see his power and his provision did you know that only God deserves our fear it doesn't mean you're you're a scaredy cat that awe and reverence only God deserves our fear in Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 tells us that it's the beginning of what do you remember wisdom wow so the question here is, can we move from discouragement or the past towards strong obedience? And I say, yes. How about this for motivation? God is with you. God is with 
me. His spirit, God's spirit, dwells in the Christian. Isn't that right? According to Scripture. And it is ever present. That motive, that's a great motivation. Hmm. Let's move on. Last point, verses 6 through 9. I entitled it Peace and Glory. It starts with glory, ends with peace. Verse 6, I call this shaking it up. Shaking it up. Here's the truth right here. God will bring his glory. Period. You don't need any qualifier. God will bring his glory. His purpose cannot be slowed or stopped. The scripture says right there, once more. Don't miss that phrase. It's going to happen. It happened. It will happen. It will keep happening. And once more, he brings his glory. I love Arthur Pink, A.W. Pink. Wrote some great little books, Sovereignty of God. This is how he defines sovereignty this way. I love this. Listen closely. It's pretty simple. We want to make things complex. Here's the quote. What do we mean by this expression? We mean the supremacy of God, the kingship of God, the godhood of God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that God is God. Simple, right? We are too smart for our britches today, I'm telling you. It's simple. God is God. Listen to this truth. God rules over everything. His word is to be obeyed. He will provide the necessary resources for his work. And remember again, his timing is perfect. He says in the scripture once more, and then there's another phrase. Did you catch it? In a little while. It's his timing. It's always appropriate. So he's going to shake things up. But then we get to verses 7 and 8, and I love this. What I got out of these verses is that God provides. God provides. We see from these verses that God controls it all. Did you catch that? He controls all the silver and the gold on the earth. And he says something that would have blown my mind. I would have said, really, God, if I was living then? Really? Here's what he basically said I'm, I'm going to finance the rebuild with treasure from other nations. You remember that was one of their big concerns, discouragement, is they, they didn't have anything. Remember 285 tons of gold, the other temple? He's going to shake it up. In fact, listen to this. In a short time, God would cause the Persian king Darius, do you remember him from chapter 1? Would cause Darius to order Tatanai, don't name your kid that, Tatanai, the governor of the province that's across the river, Euphrates River, to pay. Are you ready? Here's what he, God caused this king to order this guy to do. To pay the full cost of reconstructing the temple out of the royal treasury of that reason, region. Look it up. Ezra chapter 6. Ezra 6, verse 6 through 8. It's right there. And what's amazing is I looked at verse 9. The decree was you even provide the animals for these guys' burnt offerings. I mean, even that. Even their worship from this nation. Hmm. And here's some rich irony for 
for you. Sometimes I go down a rabbit hole. We talked about that this morning. You know, sometimes you just go. There's great irony here because if you go back and look at Ezra 4, verses 1 through 5, that decree required the Samaritans who opposed the building of the temple. They gave them a hard time about doing this. Remember, it took them, it took them years, almost 20 years, before they really got going on this. The Samaritans would pay taxes that would end up, some of these taxes, helping to pay for the rebuild of the Jewish temple for the glory of God, even though they did not want it to happen. God provides. Let us never forget that. He can and will provide for you. And listen to this other truth. He can do it any way he desires. You see, that's my problem sometimes. Is that your problem sometimes? Well, God, I know you'll provide. Here's how I need you to provide. Anybody? Guys, I walked right over here. I gave you a chance to be ready. Anybody? Anybody ever think that? Yeah, see, you're ready. All right. Got to go this way next time. He'll do it in any way he desires and at any time he desires. It doesn't matter what my checking account looks like. That doesn't determine how he will provide and when. Of course, I would want him to provide when, you know, there was less zeros in there, right? Or with work. Or with a fractured relationship. Or with a besetting sin or a problem in our life. He will provide and he will do it in any way and any time how he desires. I mean, verse 7 and 8 ought to fire us up. But then we get to verse 9. And I just want to tell you, my greatest motivation I find in verse 9, it may be different for you, but for me it's in verse 9, a greater work and a greater temple. I think verse 9 is the finishing touch on these verses. It's perhaps the finishing touch on this entire book. Not only, let me paraphrase, and you look at it, and you can study it. There's different views on this. You're hearing my view right now. Not only would God provide and the Israelites would rebuild the temple. We know that's a fact. But God would eventually accomplish a greater work. Do you see it in verse 9? Greater glory, final glory. You see that? He will do that. He will accomplish a greater work by providing a greater temple. He, in fact, says in verse 9 that the final glory will be greater than the first. And I'm confused now. What other temple I, I'm, is my history messed up? What is this reverse verse referring to? I believe it's a messianic promise. Will you think about that for a minute? It's hard for us to realize messianic promises because we live, what? After Jesus came to earth and died on the cross and rose again. But I want you to think about that. I, I think it's a promise of Jesus to come. This, let me give you a couple of verses. Matthew 12, verse 6. Jesus referred to himself by declaring that he was greater than the temple. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 12, 6. But I tell you, he's going like this, something greater than the temple is here. Of course, they had trouble understanding that, but there it is. That's early on. Jesus also referred to himself as a type of a temple. John 2, verse 19. This is what Jesus said, John 2, verse 19. And again, they didn't get it. Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. 
They, they didn't know about the cross and the resurrection and all that. But it's amazing to see this verse inserted part of God's message, his declaration. In the rebuilding of their temple, God was pointing, I believe, to a greater temple, Jesus. What great hope is contained in that? And I'm going to tell you something. We are blessed to know the reality of that today. We can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see it. Can we not? We know the story. We actually get to celebrate Easter on April. I shouldn't have done that. Somebody help me. What, 17th? Okay, Bob said so, so if you're wrong. You know, I think that's right. Yeah, we, we get to celebrate that. Why? Because it happened. Wow. But what great hope is contained in the thought of there's greater final glory. It's going to be greater than the first. Now, I don't want to just get bogged down with that. I want you to see how this verse ends and this passage ends. It ends with peace. Peace that the Lord provides. Do you see that? I, this is the Lord of hosts. This is God Almighty. That's the, the, the battle term for God, the Lord of hosts. This is pumped up, all right? You see it? And he says, I will provide peace in this place. Wow. Mm. Ultimately, God will provide peace this greater temple. Do you have that peace? Do you have the experience of knowing that Jesus the Messiah has saved you from your sin? What peace that brings. Haggai's generation, I think were reminded as they allowed the Lord to speak to them, don't give up hope. Don't become discouraged by looking back to the glory of the past. Listen, even if your past was good and it was that there weren't failures, don't look back. That does not help with the future. They were to look instead for the glory of the future and ultimate peace. Let me close in this way. Motivation. Only dead fish go with the flow. No. You know what's sad is more of you will comment about that phrase to me than something else in the sermon. It's amazing. It's okay. At least you were listening at the beginning and the end. Motivation. We should be motivated to do what? To uphold God's priorities. Priorities. We should be motivated, like these folks were, to uh, uphold and do His work the service in his kingdom, which is right now. Which, by the way, those things bring him glory. Think about that for a minute. And the question is simple. Are we? Are you? Are you? His message, his presence, his provision, his glory, and his peace should all be motivators for us. That's five things, guys. Wow. You see, we can know the gospel today. We can know Jesus the Messiah. 
I had the privilege of officiating at a funeral service yesterday and sharing the gospel. And it's simple. The Bible says we all sin. The Bible makes it clear God is sinless. Do you believe it? He's holy. That's a problem. It separates us from God. And yet we have the benefit, living after Jesus came, of knowing that the, the Bible says what? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. He's the bridge from our sin to God. And the Bible says that God loved us so much, he gave a demonstration. He sent his one and only son to die for me and you. That's the good news. And that we can turn to him and run to him and sincerely with faith that he gives us to say, I give you, God, this all that I am. Would you please Forgive me, save me, and take over the throne room of my life. Be the boss. That's the good news. His message, his presence, his provision, his glory, and his peace. All motivators. Scripture is clear. The gospel, the good news is clear. Listen, whether you're watching online, whether you're right here, the fact is this. We can know him. We can serve in his kingdom. We can give all glory to him. So as I finish, I'm going to ask you a tough question. Don't look around. Just start evaluating your life. What might be holding you back? In a room this size with this many people, there's a lot of answers to that. What might be holding you back. Now, you may say, Lamar, I'm doing pretty good. I'm serving to this. I understand that. The question is for me as well. I am not in the past. I am going forward. I am serving the Lord. I am giving Him glory. But does that mean that there could not be something that's holding me back from a little bit more? Of course. I don't think any of us have arrived at that abundant life that God wants us to have, that victory, that influence in our culture, and in our families, in our world. So the question is, what might be holding you back? For some of you, it might just be the fact, ah, I'm not saved. I don't know about this gospel message. It hadn't happened to me. That's big. For some, it might be this, you know how people describe the, your life as a house? There might be that one closet. You guys do it, don't you? Somebody's coming over. I got a closet. I can throw all the junk in there and shut it, and you don't know what it looked like five minutes before you got there, right? We have that closet. Maybe your closet even has a lock on it, and nobody can get in there but you. But there's something in there holding you back. What might be holding you back? And here's the follow-up question. What change? is needed in your life to line up with God's message. It is an ancient message. It could have been written today, though. God's Word is so applicable. What change is God requiring of you and me today? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we acknowledge that you are great. We acknowledge that you are righteous and right. Even, even your timing and what you do 
And God, we acknowledge today your message to us. We acknowledge today your presence with us. If we stop and look, God, we acknowledge your provision in our life. God, we acknowledge your glory that's all around and even as we give it to you, glory. And God, I pray that each one of us would be able to acknowledge your peace in our life. God, I pray for those that don't have that. I pray you would break through and miraculously save people from their sin. God, I would pray even, even for the person in our church that, that is serving the most, it appears, and has just has a glorious attitude and gives you glory. I pray even that person you would motivate further. God, time is short, and we have work and service to do. We have glory to give. So we ask that you'd help us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to have a time of response. It's a time for you to keep uh, processing and evaluating what God is saying to you. I believe and I pray all the time that God would customize his word for you and me. So would you stand with us for a moment? Uh, I've got friends up front. I'm here. If you'd like to pray, if you'd like to, to make a commitment, whatever it is to the Lord, if you would like for, for uh, to be led in how God can save you, we give this time to to you. Would you just do business with the Lord? Amen. Someone else? I love that when you immediately respond to the Lord. don't leave today with regret. I regret my brother's death recently. That I could not get off my holy pedestal and try again and again to do more in his life. Don't leave today with whatever it is in your life. Allow God to work, to set you free. Not to feel good, but to serve Him and give Him glory. God has done many miracles in our family recently. We've seen it. We ask God for more. A miracle of salvation, of other things. God, more and more. As we serve you. God, today we give you love, our love. We give the glory to you. Lord, even in our worship, we 
acknowledge you are the audience of one. We give you our praises, our prayer. We give you proclamation, our proclamation from your word. And we're thankful. I pray, God, you'd motivate us this year like never before. God, thank you for what you're doing in my life, in our church family. We follow you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.